The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to our Missing Link podcast. I am really, really excited to have Dr. Marwa Casey back with us today. If you missed our first talk together, she has joined us before on the Missing Link podcast and talked to us about diagnosis and misdiagnosis of multiple sclerosis. If you have not listened to that episode, I would highly, highly suggest you listen to it. She shared some great tips with us. And if you missed it, I just want to let you guys know who Dr. Marwa Casey is. She is truly a gem in the MS community. Dr. Casey is a board-certified neurologist and an assistant professor in the Department of Neurology at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. Her clinical practice focuses on care of people with multiple sclerosis and other neuroimmune conditions. She is also actively involved with trainees of all levels, has helped design, and then was the first fellow to complete the Cedars-Sinai MS Fellowship, and Dr. Casey is active in research with several publications on the diagnosis and misdiagnosis of MS. Today's episode is a rapid fire symptom management discussion. And to be honest, this is really tricky because all of these symptoms that we're going to discuss truly deserve an entire podcast episode of their own. But I wanted to hear Dr. Casey's best tips or pieces of advice for those on the go looking for quick information. The symptoms we'll be talking about are fatigue, depression, cognitive changes, bladder changes, and pain. Dr. Casey, thank you so much for being back with us again today. Dr. Casey, thank you so much for coming back to our podcast to talk to us. Thanks for having me again. Of course. So as we did last time, I want to ask you a fun random question to help our listeners get to know you a bit more. Are you ready? Great. I think so. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you're going to get with me. Never. Yeah. All right. Your question is, what do you think one of the biggest cons of being famous would be? Oh, uh, I think that, um, well, I see this because I live in LA, right? So <laughs> I think I see it <laughs> firsthand. Uh, I, I guess and just in general, like the lack of privacy. Um, and we can debate whether people sign up for that when they become famous or not, but especially with their kids. So like I I have a daughter, um, she's a little over one. You may hear her screaming in the background at some point today <laughs> or while we film, but uh, I, I don't really put her picture on social media just cause you know, everyone has a different philosophy about that, but she never, she doesn't have the ability to consent to that yet, right? Um, whereas, you know, celebrities are when they're out with their kids there's always paparazzi in their face. And I always kind of feel bad for the, for the kids for that reason. So there you yeah. go. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So I'm really, really excited for our talk today. We are going to be doing a rapid fire of the top five symptoms that most people with MS struggle with. So mm -hmm. what we're going to do is I'm going to say the symptom, and I want you to let us know your best tip or best thought to help our listeners with that specific symptom. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to try to be rapid about this. I could yeah. spend forever probably talking about each of these. Uh, we'll see, but um, okay. So just yeah. keep in mind that it is rapid fire and not like a nice <laughs> nuanced full discussion that your doctor can probably have with you. Yes, for sure. It's really hard. People have asked me to do this before. And like, I could literally yeah. talk for an hour on each yeah. of these. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So for our listeners, I guess you can use this information to maybe go back to your neurologist and ask them about some of these things, um, but it'll be a great uh, precursor to further information. Let's start with pain. Okay, pain. Uh, this is something that some people have been told does not happen with MS, which is completely false. So yes, MS causes pain. It can cause different types of pain. Um, including spasticity. So if you have muscle weakness over time, that can lead to spasticity and painful cramps in the muscles. And uh, it can also cause nerve pain. So like burning, tingling kinds of pain um, with the MS. The thing, the other thing on the flip side is that sometimes people try to lump every new symptom in under MS. So I've seen patients with full on chest pain get told that it was due to their MS. And that clearly is something that needs to be evaluated for a heart attack or other things related to that first before blaming it on the MS. So um, pain happens with MS. It can be treated. It's just a matter of knowing what to blame the MS on and, and what to really work up for something else that might be going on. And there's different types of pain that I'm assuming are treated different. Is that right? Absolutely. So uh, depending, a lot of them are treated with neuropathic um, pain medications. So we don't use things like opioids um, typically with neuro because they just don't work very well. And then there's, you know, the whole epidemic and, and the problem with addiction, obviously, but they really just don't work very well. So things like Norco, Vicodin, um, Dilaudid, we don't tend to use those things. We use more things like gabapentin or Neurontin, um, Trileptal or Oxcarbazepine as it's known. So things that really target nerves and nerve type pain and, and spasticity, um, we will use also sometimes muscle relaxants. So it really needs to be a conversation with your doctor about what type of pain you're having, what might be causing it and what treatments can specifically help that type of pain. And it's not always medication. It can be um, great stretching exercises, working with a physical therapist. Um, it can be different kind of uh, lifestyle modifications to try to prevent that pain and things like that. Awesome, that's a great recap. Okay, next one, let's do bladder. Bladder, so this is a symptom I often have to ask my patients about because they won't volunteer it, but a very common symptom of MS is to have overactive bladder, not much of a heads up when you need to go, sometimes accidents, bladder incontinence, um, and other times the exact opposite, which is retention, where you just cannot get the urine out. You have to push on your belly to get it to flow. You have to go back to the bathroom five minutes after you urinated to continue to empty. So all these things can happen in MS. They can have a huge effect on somebody's quality of life day to day. Um, and, and sometimes they don't bring it up with their doctor. So I think my biggest tip with bladder is just talk about it if that's something that's bothering you. Um, and again, there's different types of treatments from medications to procedures to lifestyle modifications like just getting your bladder on a schedule basically that can help um, treating mobility issues when you just can't make it to the bathroom in time because you're so slow to move to the bathroom. So everybody's very different. 
Some of these things are, are directly treated um, and other things require a visit to a urologist or a bladder specialist because sometimes people with MS have the two opposite problems going on at the same time. Their bladder is overactive and firing too much and going too often, but it's also not emptying all the way and it's retaining a little urine, which can be a great setup for UTIs, unfortunately. And, and some medications that work on this end can, can make the other end worse, which can be dangerous. So when somebody has components of both things going on, that's when I tend to send them to a urologist so they can do accurate measurements of where that person falls on the spectrum and figure out treatments to, to harmonize and, and come to a balance where the, the bladder is concerned as opposed to making one problem worse as you try to treat the other. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's definitely important. And that's so true. I think there are definitely symptoms that people with MS are more comfortable talking about out loud, whereas other symptoms, you really do have to ask them because they just might not feel comfortable, yeah. bladder being one of those. Right. What about cognitive changes? Cognitive changes. So uh, this is another one that doesn't always come up if you don't ask about it. Um, and this is something I usually ask about in my very first visit with someone. I ask them, how is your memory? How is your thinking? I try to figure out what they do um, for work, if they work or how they spend their time. And I try to understand whether if they have any concerns, whether other people also have a concern. I ask, well, is your boss worried about it? Is your partner bringing this up or is it just you? Because a lot of us, you know, we, we don't feel like we're super sharp and nobody else notices it, right? So that, that's still something we talk about and work on. But if other people are coming to that person saying, your memory's a lot worse or you're not doing your job properly or, hey, I, we just had this conversation five minutes ago, you know, um, that's when I really start to, to get concerned that there's something going on. And there's different types of cognitive changes that happen with MS. Um, people with MS can get dementia. So not Alzheimer's dementia, a different type of dementia. That usually happens with long-term chronic MS, people who have a lot of lesions. But there are more subtle things that can happen even earlier on in the disease. One of the most common is word finding difficulty or like tip of the tongue where you can kind of think of the word, but it's not right there. That can happen a lot in MS. It happens to all of us, right? But more so to people with MS. Um, and then also speed of processing right, where you're trying to multitask or try to do things quickly, and you can do them, it just might take you a little bit longer than it did before. And that all has to do with where the lesions in MS are and what type of lesions and location that that person has. But these are kind of some of the range of the, the memory and thinking issues that can happen with MS. And depending on what's causing them, there may or may not be treatment. So the biggest thing we can do to try to prevent these is to treat the MS itself and to prevent new lesions and new damage to the brain. Um, but once they've happened, there are also other things we can do, like treat anything that makes it worse, like poor sleep, for example, is a big driver and depression. Those two things can hugely amplify any minor cognitive issues and make them a lot more difficult to deal with. Wow. And do you ever refer someone with cognitive changes to cognitive behavioral therapy? Uh, so cognitive behavioral therapy, it's a bit of a, uh, not a misnomer, but I can see why you're asking the question, but it's not a direct link. So cognitive behavioral therapy is, is suited to people with, with depression or um, a, a mood symptoms that can be changed by kind of reframing how they think about the world. So that's where the cognitive comes from. Cognitive behavioral therapy is you just reframe from, oh, everything is terrible to, oh, maybe this thing is good, or maybe this person doesn't actually hate me and I'm just kind of making a bigger deal out of it. Um, it is probably the most common type of therapy. It works beautifully, including in people with MS. Um, we're just wrapping up a study that hopefully should get published soon on an online cognitive behavioral therapy treatment for people with MS. 
Um, but usually the referral for people with cognitive issues is one, I try to figure out exactly what's going on. So the most common referral I make is to a neuropsychologist. And these are PhDs that do extensive testing of different parts of the brain and how they're working together. To the patient, it feels like four to six hours of brain games, which is fun for the first like 20 minutes and then gets really <laughs> exhausting. But they're incredibly thorough and they send me these beautiful pages of, of reports often, uh, and they relate it to that person's education, their environment, they really go deep. Um, often these reports are just um, reassuring to both me and the patient. And they say, this person's fine. They just have a lot of anxiety or they have sleep issues or they have depression. And there's not actually a memory problem here. It's some other thing that's driving them to think that they have a memory problem, right? When we don't sleep on a good night's rest, we, none of us feel great sharp and sharp the next day, right? So imagine years of not sleeping well because of your pain or your bladder symptoms or whatever else the MS is doing and how that can affect your cognition. So that's the most common referral I make. Another one is to a psychiatrist or a therapist because if there's a lot of depression going on that can be driving memory issues. And then the third is to a sleep specialist, again, because sleep is huge to our, our memory and our mental sharpness. Yeah, so that kind of touches on the next one I wanted to ask about, which is depression. Yes. So depression is one of probably the one or two top most common symptoms of MS. And this happens because of the way the MS changes our brain structures. It can actually change our brain in a way that makes us much more vulnerable to mood imbalances like depression. So I try to explain to people that because there's so much stigma around mental health and depression, right? So I try to explain to them like, this is a neurologic symptom. This is part of the MS. And sometimes that makes them say, okay, well, let's treat this like we're treating my motor symptoms or my vision symptoms, like yes, let's treat the, uh, the depression. And um, this is one symptom that can, if you have it, make all the other symptoms worse, right? So it's almost, it's not easy to treat per se, but it is kind of like low hanging fruit. And that if we pick off this one thing, a lot of other things fall into place or at least improve. Um, so depression is very common in MS. Thankfully, it is treated the same as other kinds of depression. So there's no like specific MS medication for depression in MS. And it responds well to our usual medications for, for depression. Um, so sometimes your, your neurologist may be able to prescribe a medication or if you have a more complex case or there's a lot of other things going on, like maybe bipolar disorder, um, they can refer you to a psychiatrist to, um, to try to take care of that and, and kind of target this one very common uh, symptom of MS. I love that you mentioned that because I find that a lot of the clients that I work with don't know that it's a symptom of MS. So they don't treat it like it is. And they think it's just this side effect of life rather than MS. Right, right, exactly. So the final one, and this is one that I get asked a lot is fatigue. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the, the number one most common symptom of MS, right? I think like probably over 85% of people with MS have fatigue or deal with it at some point. And it can fluctuate. Some days can be better than others. Uh, but this one is unfortunately very difficult to treat. It's the most common. So you think we'd have great treatments for it by now, but it's very resistant. So I start um, not by talking about medications. To me, that's a last resort, not because I don't like meds, but because they don't work very well. So I do a deep dive usually into what's going on with that person that we can try to fix. So energy, and this is like, goes back to the Spoonie theory, if any of you heard of that, that theory, but energy in MS is kind of like money in the bank um, or spoons on a table, however you want to look at it. Um, and once you've spent your money for the day or you've exhausted, you've used all your spoons for the day, there's nothing left. You know, a lot of people can just kind of push through and finish it out. With MS, you're done. You've hit a wall, you're on the couch in the middle of the afternoon, that's it. 
So um, one of my first things that I ask the patient is, when is it worse? Is it when you first wake up that you feel super tired or is it in the middle of the afternoon? And if they wake up feeling refreshed, but they hit a wall in the middle of the afternoon, that's kind of the MS. And, but if they feel bad when they first wake up, they may not be sleeping well, right? We're not putting enough energy in the bank even to start with. So sleep is definitely one of the first things I try to address and make sure they're putting enough money in the bank or they have enough spoons on the table or whatever it is to start their day. Um, and then energy management is something else we talk about. For example, if you know that the next day you have like a, a day-long conference or, or a trip to Disneyland or something like that, maybe take it easy the day before that and try to you know, save some of those spoons for tomorrow, save some of that money to spend the next day and don't have multiple big days back to back. Um, so treating any underlying conditions that may be making the fatigue worse, like sleep usually is a big one, um, saving energy when you know you have something big going on. A third one, and I can tell you every one of my patients that I've gotten to do this has felt so much better. Some of them come and saying, I feel like a new person. It's just a matter of getting them to do it. And that is exercise. And it is the most counterintuitive. I mean, I don't have to tell you how important exercise is, right? It is the most counterintuitive thing to tell someone who's telling you, I'm just so petite, I can't move, right? You're like, well, go do a workout then. They're like, look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> yes. but, um, but if I can get them to work out, their fatigue gets a lot better. So that's one thing that I strongly, strongly believe in. There's only a little bit of evidence, not, not enough that we have like medications. Um, but that I think is actually the most useful thing for fatigue and MS. And then we do have medications like modafinil, um, stimulants like Adderall, amantadine that we can use in MS. But there was a study a couple of years ago that looked at a bunch of people with MS who had fatigue and they split them into four groups and they gave one group modafinil, one group, I think Adderall, another group amantadine and the fourth group placebo. And they had them take these drugs for months and they measured their fatigue using a standardized fatigue scale. And at the end of the study, all four groups were the same, including placebo, right? So wow. like, um, who knows if we're getting a lot of benefit and people are different. There are some people who really need their modafinil or who really benefit from it. I certainly prescribe it. Um, but at the end of the day, we have to keep in mind that it shouldn't just be the only thing we're doing to combat fatigue. And there's a lot of other lifestyle changes that may work just as well, if not better than medication. Wow. Those are so many tips just for fatigue right yeah. there. Awesome. <laughs> it's a big one. Yeah, I'm very impressed that we were able to get through all of those five that quickly. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about the course that you're developing? Because this is another place where our listeners can learn from you and in much more detail on a lot of different topics. Absolutely. We go into detail on all the things we just blasted through. I'm also <laughs> happy that we could get through them. But it's called Conquer MS. And I designed this course because especially when I first diagnose somebody with MS and give them this life altering diagnosis, I'm at most able to spend 45 to 60 minutes with them. And that's a lot for most neurologists. So that is not enough time to go through the many, many questions they have. Um, even if we do get to talking some about, about some of these things, it's, they're, they're so overwhelmed by the diagnosis itself that they probably can't take in all of that information at once. So I basically took all the most common questions that people do think to ask and, and put them in these videos for you to go through at your own time, repeat if you like. And it's really just intended to give someone a sense of ownership over their MS. So instead of being diagnosed and having nowhere really to turn, Googling, God forbid, and seeing the, the worst case scenarios, which is always what comes out of Google, right? And, and it's not really accurate because our therapeutics for MS have changed the face of this disease, even as recently as the last five years. Um, instead of going and doing that or feeling lost or feeling like you have no control over the MS, this really gives you some power back and some feeling that you, you know what's out there, you have a good grasp on the basics at least of, of who gets MS, if there's any genetic risk to their kids, 
um, how we diagnose it, how to know if you're having a relapse, when to call your doctor, the different disease modifying therapies and which might be a good fit for different people. That truly sounds so amazing because I can't imagine how often people will even write notes, but then they can't remember the full conversation. So this is a way to be able to hear your responses to their main questions right away. So that's amazing. Can you tell us a link that they can use to sign up for that or other ways that they can find you? Absolutely. So it's the Conquer MS uh, course. It should be on Teachable. If you can just Google that, there's also going to be a link to it in, in my YouTube video. So that's probably the best way to find it. Awesome. And all of those will be in the show notes as well. Dr. Casey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.